0: Hello, and welcome to our Secular Overeaters podcast series, where you'll hear from speakers who have found recovery from food and other addictions without God. For additional information, go to secularovereaters.org. And now let's get to today's podcast. Hi, my name is Carolina. I'm a compulsive overeater, and I'm from southeastern Germany. It's now my pleasure to introduce our speaker, Dr. Vera Tarman. She's a medical addictions physician in Toronto and works with people who want to break their dependence on unhealthy foods. She's the author of the book, Food Junkies, Recovery from Food Addictions, and the host of the Food Junkies podcast. Vera will speak for 20 minutes, and then we'll have 10 minutes for questions. Would you like any timing reminders, Vera? Uh,
1: Yes, I would. Give me uh, at the 10-minute mark so I know to switch over
0: okay great i'll do that okay the floor is yours
1: okay hello everybody my name is vera i identify as a food addict Um, i am um, abstinent of uh, sugar and alcohol for 15 years and of the in the program that i'm in which is a splinter group of oa uh, for eight years so i define myself as completely abstinent um, uh, for the last eight years and i want to talk today in my 20 minutes uh, i'm going to break it up into two it's kind of like an experience strength and hope but the middle part will be the biological piece that i've also been asked to share on so it's not a typical 12-step thing because we're not supposed to bring in the outside issue of science and biology but i'm going to do that with permission today uh, so i'll start with a little bit of my story and then i'll move into the science at that 10 minute mark um so I, I'm not really sure myself if um, alcohol or sugar was the first um, uh, addiction. I come from a family of alcoholism. And um, but I, I I mean, I'm, uh, you know, in my 60s, food was not as abundant uh, in my childhood as it would be now. And I came from a, a German family and we were very strict about, um, uh, you know, going to the store and spending money and whatnot. So I could have been a food addict first. But I just didn't have access. I certainly know that um, Halloween and and Christmas and all those times were times when I would eat as much as possible and looked forward to um, them, the food, as much as I did the the presents. Uh, But I would say that my main uh, discovery about food as a, a... problem was in my sort of late teens I had already going into university realized that alcohol was not something I could moderate excuse me and and stopped drinking because I wanted to do well at school and I was not doing well Uh, and then uh, of course I had access to food and money and uh, found that within a year of stopping alcohol, I also decided I was going to stop eating junk food and I was going to stop doing all sorts of things that I did in excess um, and uh, went through a period of what we would now um, diagnose as anorexic type Um, I I, I don't identify as an anorexic but I certainly had that kind of behavior and then when I stopped that after a year because I couldn't maintain that um, I then became a bulimic and I would say that if I were to be diagnosed now that's what I would have had as a diagnosis because food addiction is not a diagnosis even today. Um, but my experience, which I did not then define as addiction. I did, that didn't happen until years later when I was 50. Um, I certainly knew that my food was a problem. And, you know, one example, cause I don't, you know, I don't have enough time to give a whole story, but just one example is when I knew that I was struggling with food, Um, I did the geographical cure of thinking, well, if I travel, if I leave my environment, um, I I will figure out my problem or I'll I'll be able to manage it. And I went. So I live in Toronto, Canada. And uh, in in my generation, we all went to Europe and traveled. And I thought, I'll do that. And I ended up um, as a first stop in um, in uh, England working as a chambermaid. And I thought, okay, I'm living in a hotel or hostel that the hotel is provided with a roommate that I don't even know. Surely I won't eat the, 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 with the verosity and throwing up um, that I did at home, uh, but you know, it, that I was there for six months and that whole six months was all about how can I eat even though I've got a roommate right there I'll sneak out I'll do whatever um and how will I like I I didn't it wasn't about going and visiting the the sites uh it was about how can I manage to maintain my addiction which I still didn't think was an addiction it didn't work and an example of where uh, the guess the depths to my um, despair at that time was that uh, we had to serve food to uh, people in their rooms in the hotel and then collect the trays uh, when, when they were done. And you can imagine what I did with those trays. I did not throw that food out. That was free food. A lot of it was good stuff and I would eat it. I didn't even know who that person was, but it was food and it was there. And with full of shame and disgust at myself, I still did it. So that's... I don't know if that's the worst story possible, but it's the one I picked for today. And I'll just end that part by saying that um, at a certain point, I felt absolutely tormented by the addict within me. And the, the image that I often describe is it was like hornets. I was in a constant hornet's nest where I, I could never get peace of mind because the moment there would be peace, I get another sting, which would be... Um, have you tried this food? Or if you throw up, you'll have a bit more space. Or, um, okay, now you're you're feeling a little better. You can do something else. Or, oh, I'm so full. I'm disgusted. Anyway, it it was just a constant barrage of like being in a hornet's nest. So I knew I had to stop uh, and get out of that life. And um, the way that I found that was by, by using alcohol and food and overwork and it's like this is who i am i didn't question that but can i make it more manageable so that i would drink and eat and and uh work and anyway i i lived a, a, a an unpeaceful life um for many years basically running away from the addict which always kept up uh, kept up with me until i was uh in my um professional life and this is sort of what happened now or what experience something hope you know, what it was like how did I get here I, I did not find 12 step right away um but I found biology and I was working in addiction and reading um watching my patients I realized um I am behaving the way they are. And so I started to look at the science behind addiction, using food um, uh, in the same way. Now, I wasn't the only one doing that, but I felt like I was. This was now in the, uh, well, it was about 15, 20 years ago. There There wasn't literature that was being written up about. There was actually a little bit in the American Society of Addiction Medicine. They published a journal on addiction. And I thought, Oh my God! This this is me, Um, and so I tried to read as much as I could, developed my own thinking around it. Like I said, I know there were people out there. I know now because I do a podcast and I'm meeting them, and they were around at the same time as me. But we were all on our own trying to figure this thing out. I mean, one of the things about now, thanks to the internet and everything else, is we're meeting each other across the world and going, "Oh my God, we all have this uh, same understanding." Uh, anyway, um, it was that information that helped me and also being in that world that introduced me to the 12 step world. So um, uh, so that's how um, I, I got to the science. So now I'm going to stop. I don't know if I've reached my 10 minutes. I must be close to it. And I want to talk a little bit about the science. And then once I've talked about that, I'll just close off with uh, where I am today. So the science that I read about and that uh, makes sense to me and that my book Food Junkies is uh, illustrates um, is it, it's basically the story of dopamine and dopamine is not the only dynamic behind addiction. There are many other neurochemicals, but it's the one that if you get that, you've really got the, you've got the beast by its horn. It's dopamine. Dopamine is the red dog or the addiction uh, dynamic. And um mm-hmm. The thing about dopamine is it's a neurochemical that we all have, and it's in a, a, a sort of the middle part of our brain that we call the limbic system, which is a subconscious part of our brain. It's not the conscious, intellectual, willpower, uh, ego-driven, controlled behavior part. It's in a lower level and it's a much more potent and uh, level it's it's at the level of uh, life and death instinctual response and uh, dopamine is in on that level it's on other levels too but uh, in terms of our food drive the, the drive to eat overeat and satiety is all on that level and That's what gets deranged in food addiction. Uh, So, of course, if a person has that deranged, willpower is still there. It's saying, you got to stop. Or my intellectual part of me is saying, you can't be doing this. But it's a faint, faint cry in the face of this uh, 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 middle part of the brain, the limbic system, which is always more powerful. And what happens is is that dopamine uh, is our neurochemical of desire that we have, that we absolutely need. We need it uh, to be motivated to do anything in life. It's it's the neurochemical of desire, of motivation, of excitement, of looking forward to. It's actually not the uh, neurochemical of satisfaction and I really like this food. It's the neurochemical of, I, I, I. I sort of like this food and but maybe the next bite will be even better and um uh and then when i finish this i'm going to have this and that's going to be even better that's what drove me to overeat and that was the dopamine the actual enjoyment of the uh, food was endorphin serotonin it's something else it's not dopamine but that drive to want more is dopamine and normal uh eating is when we eat fruits and vegetables and um not the, our nature it's like our nature human nature has adapted well to um the natural world of natural foods not processed foods but natural foods and so i can really enjoy cherries i, I, I don't know if we can talk about specific foods here like sweet fruits um uh, but up to a point point. and then if i eat too many i feel sick i feel bloated i'm gonna have diarrhea like there's natural ebbs and flows and curbs to that desire to overeat Um, and that's with natural foods and we're we're designed to want foods because they sustain us and um, you know we eat them in the summer when they're plentiful and abundant and then in the winter we eat instead of proteins and fats and we like those too because we're very versatile Um, but we're not meant to have fruits in abundance all the time and certainly not in the um, potent. A version, which is like candy and, and cakes and whatnot, which is basically just processed food that has um, food, the process industry that has stripped um, uh, the food of only the intoxicant part stripped all the rest of it away actually the nutrients kept the intoxicant part which now instead of being an intoxicant becomes a toxin and if i were doing a talk now on metabolic disease i could talk about diabetes and obesity and high blood pressure and on and on but we're talking i'm talking about addiction in the brain a similar phenomena happens where uh, there's an overabundance of this toxic food um, that in my brain is an overabundance to dopamine. Uh, Sugar and and flour is highly potent, um, potentiates my dopamine far more than I should have it be, far more than normal foods would do. And the brain in a response to that overabundance, that highly potentiated experience of processed food, it starts to adapt. In a way that we call tolerance, Um, we become tolerant to it, we we become immune to the effect of it, we become uh, flattened to the effect of it, but our addict mind, the desire to feel excited, continues uh, to want it, but it's flattened now and so I need more, Um, and it becomes a chase. Uh, where we want to feel excited and then normal, but the body continually readapts to this uh, overly charged environment. And that whole process is called addiction. That That's an addiction. It's a chronic progressive adaptation to an abnormal environment. Um, and, if you know much about, uh, I'm sure most of you do, um, about uh, you know uh, insulin um, resistance and diabetes and metabolic syndrome, uh, you know when sugar, when a person is in an abundance of sugar, they they become insulin resistant they, because it's like the body is saying there's too much of this sugar, and there's too much of this, and we just can't take it anymore, um, and so it shuts down in a in a way. That would be one way of seeing it. And similarly in the brain, that overabundance. You essentially get what's called a dopamine resistance, and although people don't call addiction dopamine resistance syndrome, that would work. I don't know why we don't call it that. Some people will call it a dopamine impairment syndrome, a dopamine insufficiency syndrome, but we just call it addiction. But we could call it that, probably because it's not just dopamine, but uh, dopamine is a key player. So that's that's sort of in a nutshell the essence of what happens with addiction and i'll just end that piece by saying that um that's all happening in that middle part of the brain which is already more potent than my willpower my cognitive facilities my behavior my being nice and polite uh can, can i please have a bit more um you know excuse me whatever uh forget it it, it when when this part of my brain is charged, even in normal times, um I might lose my ability to be polite and have uh, you know moderate my behavior, but when it is overly uh, bloated, overly uh, potentiated through foods or any other drug. So The same process happens with any other drug. You know, the cocaine addict that is sitting on the corner using their last $5, now they have no rent. They don't really want to be giving that last $5 out. But that part of their, in the limbic system, has taken over, we call that hijacked, so that despite their best efforts, they cannot control um, this phenomena that's called uh, um, addiction in that middle part of the brain that already has more power, even in the best of times. Now it has the power, it is the power. And this is why we are here doing the crazy things that we do despite the fact that we know we shouldn't. So that's the science of addiction um, in a nutshell. And so what happened to me, going back to my story, I realized that um, there was this, this was the same thing as I saw with my alcoholics and cocaine addicts in my workplace. Um, was happening with me and then I started to see it happening with other people like once you see it you see it in other people of course it's not our place to say it but anyway um, and so then I looked at what are the tools and the first one that came to mind in, in the addiction world is abstinence I mean, harm reduction yes it's a tool that's called moderation in the in the food world but we only use that as a temporary Tease to get the person uh, to get the buy-in to come into treatment. But the goal is always eventually abstinence because you want to cut the dopamine. Um, You don't want to keep feeding that dopamine. It's a chronic progressive condition. It gets worse. You have to cut it uh, and then let the brain readapt back to normal not not normal but back to where it, it was initially it never does completely somebody mentioned earlier um once a pickle you're you're uh, uh you're never a cucumber again i believe that's true but you can i say you, you won't be a normal person again but you will be a food addict in remission and as long as you are in remission uh and and don't pick up the food again um Uh, you will look normal (laughs) Uh, but bring the food back in and you're you may not be a raving food addict with your head in the food right away but uh, um, you will be eventually guaranteed and often worse because it is a chronic progressive condition so abstinence is the key and um, how to find abstinence in the world even in 2023 is really difficult so uh, yes um, there are 12-step programs uh, not all of them. Certainly not the other programs like AA and CA. They all say eat food if it means you're not going to use cocaine. Well, I I can tell you I've lost a number of people. They didn't die of a fentanyl overdose, but they died of a heart attack. Which took five years, ten years. They still died of their addiction. It just wasn't called an opioid overdose or alcohol. Um, so it's still it's still a death. And I think that. Um, and Anyway, it's up to the 12-step program to get it together and figure that out. But anyway, so I found a 12-step program. Now, I found a particular one um, that was uh, – inc- and I'm not saying everybody should do this. I think it depends on the stages of where you are in your addiction. I was pretty end-stage um, where I have to weigh and measure my food and, and uh, have, I have an accountability uh, sponsor where I tell them every day what I eat. I find that that kind of control – might be too much for somebody else, and please, I'm not advocating that everybody do that, um, but it it was a useful tool to me, and so that where I am today, I think I must be close to my 20 minutes now. Um, Uh, Yes, you're almost there. Okay, good. So where I am today is that I still think about food, probably a little bit more than the normal person, but frankly, I don't know that many normal people most people think about the food but i do know of some who can literally put the food aside it's just i think if you live in 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 today's food environment it's very hard to be normal Um, but there are some that are so i wouldn't say that i um, am uh, totally at peace with the food in the sense that i'm aware that it's lunchtime for me very soon i'm like i'm aware of that stuff but it doesn't dominate my day i actually live life between um, my meal times. I get very annoyed when my meal times are disrupted, but I can live a life without them. So I'm not perfect, but I'm not that driven person in a hornet's nest and I'm not afraid to sit down. I can really enjoy my food, um, which is weighed and measured and it's very careful. but I love it. it's it's not food that I'm, I don't feel at all deprived. Um, so to my mind, that is a place of peace. It has constraints it's like taking medication or doing massage, you know, med- whatever you do in the morning. It's a, it's a, it's a discipline for me, it's a food and spiritual discipline. And i have I've settled into a lifestyle that's very, very content compared to where it was before. Um, and of course, the 12 step program, I'm a great advocate of because it's not just about food. It's about life, the spiritual practice, um, fellowship, uh, service. It's given me a purpose um, or narrowed down my, um, um, how I can funnel my my uh, purpose in a way that's very effective. So I'm very grateful <clears throat> both to the uh, uh, recovery that 12-step offers and also the peace that I found through using the tools. And I will end at that. Thank you.
0: Thank you so much, Vera. We now have time for a few questions. We'll be using the raise hand function and we'll call on you in the order hands are raised. Please try to keep your questions succinct so we can get to as many questions as possible. And first hand up, I see Jenny. Go ahead, please.
2: Hi, I'm Jenny, sugar addict and compulsive eater. And Vera, thank you so much for speaking today. Um, I'm a big fan of your book. I'm reading it with two of my sponsees. And in one of our secular meetings where we're not a registered OA meeting, so we joyfully use outside literature. um, we read excerpts from your book. And I just really got a lot out of it. So one question that I kind of came away with, like, I, I really loved your personal story in there. And you just cut out like a lot of foods, not just sugar, I don't know if you still are like doing no dairy and no um, flour, but I hate to cook. And I was just wondering, like, do you what is your like go to quick meal to eat? Like, I will have some yogurt with frozen raspberries mixed in and some muesli on top. And that's like a quick absent meal that I can eat any time of the day. So I was wondering, do you have anything like that?
1: Yeah, you and I are are the same. I don't like cooking either. And I have the fortune, I know that not everybody has this fortune, but I have the fortune of liking the same foods. Once I found something, I eat the same thing all the time until I gradually change it. So uh, that makes me very fortunate. I only need to have four or five things that I have in the freezer. Uh, And because I plan my meals ahead, um, I'm never at a loss. But what I, I I don't eat sugar. I don't eat flours. And I found that not eating grains, especially when I hit menopause, I had to, I had to drop the grains. It actually, um, uh, you know, that, that uh, middle age or most, most post middle age weight gain was gone after I got rid of the grains. Uh, I do eat a bit of uh, uh, dairy, not much, and I weigh and measure it. So um, I I have yogurt every day, but it's like um, uh, two ounces Per meal, and what I one of the things I really enjoy is rice cauliflower. That's a go-to for me. I go to um, uh, my local. Uh, I don't know, Loblaws is what we have up here. I think that I think most places where they have the pre-pre cut stuff, and I'll spend a bit more money to uh, get rice cauliflower. But if not, I'll take the grater and do it myself and see it as a meditative experience. So I, I do that. I eat a lot of roasted Brussels sprouts. Like these are my main mainstays. Um, <clears throat> I will go to, um, uh, the, the local lo- Loblaws and get like rotisserie chicken. I eat a lot, lot of smoked salmon. So my, my food preparation is, um, it's probably about a half an hour in a day, but it's not like cooking. It's, I, I rely on my microwave and, um, to some degree, my oven. Where I see that just as a slow microwave. I, I don't do anything fancy there. I know people talk about air fryers, but that even seems too complicated for me because I don't like to cook. Um, so that's it. Like it's 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 pretty simple. Yeah,
0: thank you. That's very useful.
3: Uh, Chia, you're up next. Hi, I'm Chia. I'm a compulsive eater. Um, Dr. Tarman, thanks very much for your talk. You explained what's going on with my dopamine when I'm hooked on food. Can you tell me what's going on when I say, uh, loving mother, in my head, relieve this craving and it happens?
1: Well, uh, um, you mean the, the the alternative voice, which is saying, please stop? Is that what you're no, saying?
3: No. Um, the, the one the
1: believers call god okay okay and they so, say god take it away from me and 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 the experience of having it taken away from you is that the yeah. yes okay yes. yes yes i i can actually um uh i i don't know if you've heard of the terminology. the the, the phrase you probably have the opposite of addiction is connection and and have you heard that before <clears throat> It's it's a favorite phrase in the uh, sort of addiction world. I think it came Gabber Mate came up with it. I don't know. The opposite of addiction is connection. And so if we if we um translate that into neurochemistry, it's the opposite of dopamine it is not no dopamine, it's serotonin. And serotonin is our satisfaction, safety, uh a connectedness so connection can be through like a fellowship like oa it can be through your higher power like because it, it, what, what is the higher power but a generalized other you're still in connection with something else uh, that you believe is out there either a person or whatever power uh, it's still a sense of connectedness i'm not alone in the universe and and uh in normal life um w- We get up in the morning and are motivated by dopamine. And at the end of the day, we come back from our daily activities and we don't wanna want more. We don't wanna be excited and and, and strive to do, that's all dopamine. We wanna sit back, relax, soak in, our achievements, that's gratitude, be with our family, um, be safe in the nest, in the lair, and that's serotonin. So there's this kind of yin-yang of dopamine and serotonin in natural life. And what happens with addiction is the dopamine is way up here and the serotonin is down here. It's so low. Well, if you stop the dopamine and gradually let that recover, which is abstinence and then you beef up the serotonin either through multiple 12-step like every day or whatever or prayer or something where you beef that up artificially intentionally You're, you're kind of recovering that balance again so i think what it's saying is that you're finding your balance and as your addiction gets quieter that um need to go to multiple meetings or pray all the time will become less until it just reaches a perfect, um, balance of whatever that is for you. Thank you. Yeah.
0: Thank you. Uh, Tom, you're up next. Uh,
4: yes. Thank you kindly for your, uh, uh, uh lecture, Dr. Tarman. Uh, I have a, a, a quick question cause we've talked about triggers in this, uh, uh, in this lecture today, and that being uh, using the, the the allergy metaphor, uh, I've been to meetings where you can discuss any food you want. I've been to other meetings where you can't discuss any specific food. So should I take the attitude that you know, like peanuts or uh, shellfish, it's an anaphylactic reaction, and if I talk about something, I'm going to kill somebody over it, or is it about ragweed? And uh, if I get exposed to ragweed, and I go to my allergist and get the shots a little bit, and a little bit, and a little bit, and a little bit, uh, uh, I'm going to be able to go into a food fair and walk by the various shops that oh, I just have to stop there. I I always stop there, and I stop doing it. Has there been any uh, addiction research on the fact that uh, I I, I wonder how I can trigger someone to go eat somebody on a Zoom call and. Maybe I'm all wrong. I think I might be.
1: Well, okay. So I, first of all, I want to say I love that question and I love the concept of uh, a- a- addiction as an allergy. I just love that because I think it is so true. Um, but there, in a way, you, you have two parts to your question. The first one being people, places, things, triggers. Um, that, that's not really. Uh, it, it can it can spur off the allergic response, which I also want to address if I can quickly. But the people, places, things that that's essentially um, it. it reminds, it's a cue, and you know uh, this part of the brain, this limbic. A system part of our brain is based on operant conditioning. I learn that if I have um, distress, I take my substance and and get rid of the distress. And so now I've taught myself that this means lack of distress. And so when I see this thing, I don't know if you're looking at me here. Um, uh, then I uh, I immediately, um, with without thought in that limbic part of the brain, think, okay, I'm safe. Um, I, I'm I'm getting safety. So just the sight of it um, will already instill the feeling. So that's the dopamine. When when I hear something, I smell something. Like when I smell toast, for example. Oh my God, I can't stand it because it's so triggering. I don't eat bread, but that makes me want to eat bread even today. So toast is not allowed in the house because smell is a very, very potent trigger. Um, and it gets the dopamine racing. Oh my God, she's going to get that toast. And, and now I'm having to battle an urge, um, even in my sobriety. So. So that's that's one thing. Now the concept of allergy, I, I love this one because I, I you mentioned two types: the anaphylactic versus the uh, the more subtle, uh, you know, mild allergy if you think about something like poison ivy, which is uh, an allergy that most of us have, you you get exposed to poison ivy, you get a mild rash. If you continually uh, walk into poison ivy fields, that response to the rash gets bigger and bigger and bigger until eventually, I I know this because I had a patient who once had a a poison ivy allergy that was almost anaphylactic because they lived near a field of it and were constantly exposed to it. I don't know why they didn't chop it down, but anyway. uh, So it became over time think about this with food it got worse and worse and worse so even a mild allergy can become highly potent but the concept of allergy just think let me just um, uh, introduce this quickly that what is an allergy like in poison ivy allergy it's it's um, a response to skin um, uh, you get a histamine response uh, which is the cells are responding with a histamine response to kind of get rid of that allergens part of the immune response that's why you take an antihistamine and and if you think about dopamine uh, in the brain, it's a so in the skin, it's a hypersensitive response with histamine, and in the brain again, it's a hypersensitive response, but it's a dopamine uh, response. So it's not a histamine. I can't take an antihistamine for my brain. But I can take an antidopamine for my brain, which you don't want to do because those are the antipsychotics and cause their own grief. But uh, it is a kind of it's a hypersensitivity. So if you say I'm allergic to sugar, you're actually correct. You are allergic to sugar if you are hypersensitive to it, which you will become if you're exposed to it on a repetitive basis. Well, thank you for bringing that issue out, um, the concept of allergy, out, because it's it's very um, useful. That's it.
0: Thanks everyone for your questions. Unfortunately, we have a hard stop here, but please stay for fellowship. Um, Vera has also agreed to stay and you can ask your remaining questions there. And now I'll turn it over to Ashley.
3: Thanks, Carolina. Um, please let's give, if you can, uh, if you feel like unmuting yourself, um, let's give there another round of Zoom applause uh, or... <laughs> Yay. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. So Yay. you. Thank you. Thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> Thank, you. Thank, you. Thank you so much. Thank you. That's an amazing uh talk, Vera. And uh one of the key words I took away from, from everything you said was contentment. If you if you're not if you don't have the contentment, then I know something is, is off and I need to start looking at that um so thank you very much
5: sure uh, hi i'm alan uh, thank you so much for your uh, presentation you know the whole thing on um ser- serotonin um i read a lot that oxytocin is the neural of connection and i'm just yeah. curious if you could compare like oxytocin versus serotonin and the role it plays in helping people manage addiction
1: uh you're absolutely right oxytocin it, it, to be more accurate it would be oxytocin and serotonin. Um, uh, it's says we tend to focus on serotonin because of the antidepressants and medications but oxytocin actually has an interesting role in that um, if if a person uh, it's not used it's not understood well enough in the food junkies podcast we actually did interview uh, somebody who was a researcher in oxytocin and kind of nailed her down a little bit on its roles with food but one thing that's interesting is that when the oxytocin level is um, high desire to eat is low which makes so much sense because um uh when you're fulfilled either through hugs or connection in in that kind of touch maternal loving way that kind of love um you don't need to eat like don't we often eat because we feel bereft of connection of almost like to myself I've had the experience where uh it, when I was in the food as it were, I felt like I was bereft of my mother like like that was my way of feeding me maternally which makes so much sense because it's a it's almost like a maternal thirst um a food uh, and if you get that somehow through connection usually physical in some way doesn't have to be but uh, it can be a pet um then, Food cravings you can use it to, do, uh, to, to work with food cravings basically yeah
0: thank you um pat you're up next
1: just a real quick question here. Question
3: first after i say thank you very much for a wonderful hour that was great
1: uh is this a lot of this material in your book food junkies uh yes yes I've stuff. Watched, yes it's in the book and it is okay off. and if and if you um uh want more in a book that it's it's almost like the food junkies podcast is like the living version of the ongoing book because we interview people that I do in the book and then more people, like, cause as I said, I've found more people. Uh, so it's like, it's like an encyclopedia or a wiki version of the oh, book. Yeah. But, so okay. uh, yes, but it starts with the book. Yeah. Right. Right. That's great to know. Thank you very much.
0: Thank you. Uh, Amy C you're up next.
3: Oh, I didn't mean to have my hand up, but since it's there, um, at the very end of the um, speaker share, which I really appreciated, um, you mentioned about getting rid of dopamine because it's a hyper response. Um, what was the solution to that because I know you mentioned that of course the antipsychotics have their own problems.
1: Yeah, well, well yes, like like I was making the uh, analogy between antihistamines when you have an allergic response on your skin. Or uh, even more potent, like prednisone or something, like an anti-immune response. Um, The best way to um, corral dopamine is to uh, stop the overinflation of it. And then the good news is that uh, over time, this is what we call post-acute withdrawal, uh, withdrawal, which lasts, I don't know, three, four weeks, sometimes not that long. Um, The the, the dopamine receptor um, will recalibrate. And we call it, it it upregulates again. It starts to. The, the the body is forever in the state of what we call homeostasis. It's trying to make normal, whatever the circumstance is. So in addiction, we ramp it up and, and become addicted. And when you stop absence, this is why abstinence is so important. When you stop, then the body will re, respond to the absence of the triggers back to a sort of normal situation. That, that's a better approach than trying to dampen the dopamine because dopamine is our th- desire to live. And if you take something that dampens the dopamine, we see this with antipsychotics. The person becomes apathetic. They become numb. They they it's it's not selective to just their desire for over addiction, like over things that your person is addicted to. It, it dopamine is my neurochemical that makes me want to be here in this group it makes me want to read a book it makes me want to carry on with my day and if i don't have enough i'm not interested leave me alone i just want to go to bed i don't even want to read uh, like like i need dopamine to get through the day you don't want to suppress that more than is necessary better if you can to um, let the recalibration happen which means patience, support it's not a ha- happy three weeks this recovery post withdrawal. It's not happy. But once you get past that, it's like we say, wait, you know, uh, what is it? um, Wait until the miracle happens. Once you get past that, you do get on the other side. That's the best approach. I hope I answered your question.
0: Yeah, thank you. Um, I also have a question Where do you find um, all the people you interview in
1: your podcast? Um, I. Well, I knew a lot of people, and then I, probably it's a combination of um, people in the low carb world because, or the keto world, because they stumbled on a food addiction solution by accident. Um, because they're looking at the metabolic component and uh, you know what causes diabetes but sugar well what causes food addiction but sugar I mean it's not the only thing same same with uh, metabolic syndrome but so anyway we had a a common solution and then I went and talked to, to them and then found that many of them said Oh, this might be why when a person's on a keto or low carb plan, they fall off after a year of great success because they didn't know the piece about addiction. Once they started introducing their crazy keto bars and fat bombs and all those things that are processed and highly addictive, um, so we we kind of developed an allegiance there. And then I'm a big reader, and I started pulling out the people who've been talking about this, like you know, potatoes not Prozac. That woman uh, who wrote that and. Uh, and there's a few people who have been talking about this for years, um, pulling them out and saying, hey, let's let's do you want to be on the podcast? So that's how I found that. There's also a couple of summits like the Quit Sugar Summit and the Kick Sugar Summit. Uh, and uh, they are often I mean, these are people who uh, are usually quite happy, especially since COVID. They don't they no longer need a speaker fee used, used to be they they wanted a speaker fee, but now. thankfully that's the one thing covid has given us is that that expectation is dropped um so that's where i get them now and i'll actually look i actually look at uh, researchers too like i we're going to be interviewing somebody on fat addiction not sugar addiction but fat addiction so i pulled out somebody who just published a a peer-reviewed journal on fat addiction i thought well you know these guys they don't get to talk to regular people because they're researchers uh and but they're usually happy to I'm really looking forward to that one. Uh, Tom, you're up.
4: Uh, yes. Thank you. One of those things about secular old readers is the fact that we get to to read other literature. And, uh, one of the books that I'm familiar with is, uh, is Robert Lustig, the pediatric endocrinologist from yeah. the Bay area on fat chance. And so he has a discussion on the sugars and basically it uh, talks about the refined sugars. And, uh, you know, I have to have to smile occasionally because the lady says, I don't take any sugar. And I you think in my mind, well, lady, if you don't have any glucose, you ain't going to be here tomorrow. And so, you know, if you take glucose and glycose and stay away from the sucrose. So I have, he has recipes in his book that uses natural sugars. And in very small amounts, I use uh, maple syrup and honey. And I make my own granola per his recipe. And I have a tablespoon or two in my morning with, like an orange and a uh, 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 some plain yogurt, not the sweetened stuff. And it doesn't trigger me. Now uh, I'm a living example. I've been around these rooms for forty years. Uh, you know, I'm coming up for year thirty-seven for uh, uh, no alcohol. But the food, I've been up and down hundred pounds five times in this program. And now I realize why. And so I went on holidays in September, stopped at the favorite restaurant. And uh, I will talk about uh, uh, um, 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 one particular food because it's in the middle of Washington state. The last time I ever got a speeding ticket there and the policeman pulled me over, I was coming from an OA event in Portland on the way to Seattle. Why are you speeding? And in all honesty, I turned to him and said, I'm going to Centralia, Washington for a cinnamon bun. And he laughed at me over that. Well, guess what? In September, after many years, I stopped in the same restaurant and had one, shared it with my wife. And the thing being is that now I realize what I did. Boy, did I ever get that dopamine thing. And its uh, I've pretty well shaken it by now. It's been about six weeks. But uh, I used to always poo-poo that say, uh, you know, uh, the 12 steps say that you've got a progressive disease. And uh, one of the things that I found, again, getting back to the, the allergy analog, uh, is uh, uh, I'm, I'm allergic to cats. So I don't mind watching your cat on the Zoom. If I get exposed to a cat and I haven't been for ages, I get a horrific reaction as opposed to if i'd been around cats every day so uh just a quick question is is the natural sugars versus the uh the sucrose and the refined sugars do you have some comment on that thank
5: you
1: uh, yeah i i i am a you know to be open and transparent I am an advocate of abstinence from all sugars and of course I mean by that refined sugars and added sugars I don't mean fruit I don't mean vegetables I do mean maple syrup and I do mean honey though Uh, and the fact that you were able to um, manage that I would say is uh, you're extremely lucky and this is just my um, assessment here and that your state of food addiction may not be as advanced as it could be because I know that if, if another person were to have honey or or even what's considered natural sugar um, they will uh, go off the rails like it it, it will trigger them too much so uh, one one of the things I often will suggest especially for young moms with kids is if if um, because kids I don't think they're they might now be could be addicted to sugar when they're born if their mother is eating it so much and as a baby infant they're eating it to the to the point where that's happened but if you know when child is born infant is born they're not food addicts right at least not today um so if they're not overly exposed they might be able to have the occasional sugar um uh but if they're overly exposed which we do with our kids with uh, you know all of our halloween and christmas and cereals and what whatever um they will become food addicts but if a person is not overexposed they may be able to tolerate that so if if parents can moderate severely moderate um, they may allow allow that child to have a life where they can actually pick and choose um, but for most of us I mean if we're in the trouble of being on a 12-step meeting uh, and not somewhere else, probably have gone past that point and I would think that that's a bit like taking a gun um uh, a Russian roulette and uh maybe you'll get away with it this time I'm not speaking to you Tom because you've had your experiences uh, but just in general um uh, you might get away with it and you might not and that's not just even added sugar some people can not eat flour that will get them going uh and I would read that as that's the advancement of their disease I don't like that word disease they're adep- they're adaptation to the environment that they've had in the past. And also there's genetics too. You can be, uh, you can walk into the scene being previously addicted to something else or, uh, you know, having a family history of addiction.
0: Thank you. Uh, Linda is up next. Hi, thank you very much Vera. It was really interesting to listen to. Uh, Like you said, uh, if you're addicted to alcohol or drugs, Uh, Some 12-step programs just tell you to eat instead. And I think we have a a culture of like replacing an addiction with another. another. But as food addicts, we can't really, well, we can, but it won't be a good idea to start doing drugs instead. Uh, Is there like a healthy way to get high quality dopamine uh, to replace? uh, Or is that always like too addictive? And I really want the answer to be CATS please <laughs> cats, i'm not yeah. I, I yeah i'm not allergic i just they're a big part of my recovery but yeah. uh is there a healthy way to get a lot of dopamine
1: well you know y- y- the cats is your oxytocin slash serotonin connection like they remember the opposite of addiction is connection it is the answer uh just like being in connection in in you know, with a higher power or group so there it is. But I, I think the goal is, is to reestablish balance, not to uh, uh, keep the dopamine high, because then you're gonna be constantly chasing the high of dopamine. That's what people do. They quit the sugar and now they become shopping uh, addicts or they become internet or work addicts or they become something else. They're not happy, they're still chasing. Chasing is the dopamine. We wanna actually settle that, which is very hard because I admit it myself, like when I'm on a, on a tear, I like the run. I like the it's fun, but it's also uh exhausting and it's it's it, it doesn't end. It never ends. So there has to be a built-in essentially cat time. We want to get that that balance back. So no, I don't want to replace it. I want to settle. This is this is essentially called humility. I want to settle to life on life's terms which can be boring and slow. Those of us who want the fast track. And sorry, that's the way it goes. We got to suck it up, do meditation, whatever, and then build up the uh the connection piece, get the balance back. And you will always probably be a little higher than the normal, should they exist, which I think is true. I think that we addicts were the people who were the adventurers of the past. And you have to find your adventure, but naturally, like new career reading books, doing things that you're afraid to do, et cetera, et cetera. But with the cat.
0: <laughs> thank you.
3: Um, Janet is up next. Thank you, uh, Dr. Charman. Thank you for today. And thank you so much for Food Junkies, the podcast and the book. I've learned so much from all of them. And um, uh, and I have found that for me, abstinence from sugar has really been key. Uh, um and from almost all flour also, I am not someone who could do harm reduction or who could you know bring any of that back in I I now have what I consider to be a healthy mild aversion to to you know big platters of food and big platters of bakery and all nor do I, I and I no longer bake and push food on other people mm-hmm. either um mm-hmm. and I really want to thank you for your advocacy to to, Try to get medical professionals to understand food addiction and to embrace that it is a real thing. So I I think you've talked about this in food junkies, but I I wanted to know what sort of have you gotten formal pushback from people, like people really disagreeing with you in meetings and in forums and in literature. What's your experience been as you try to advocate for the understanding of food addiction?
1: Yeah okay that's that's a a, a good question. Um the, the where I might get vicious response is and I have had is if I'm speaking in a in a setting and it's I hope there's no nutritionists or dietitians here from hospital dietitians they do not like this message and have uh, have been quite um uh I wouldn't say quite rude but you know clearly well hostile it's it's a hostile audience. Um that's probably where I've heard it the most. Uh, th- then the next level where I get pushback is is in the kind of derisiveness that, uh, this is more the public, people laugh. Um, like when I would do an interview, when, when my book came out first, I got lots of interviews um, and uh, people would, you know, the reporter would get on the, on the phone or whatever and kind of say, so tell me about food addiction. Um, and I, I would just plow through the way that I do. And by the end of the conversation, they were like, oh, wow. Geez, maybe I am. Like I, I just knew that um, you just had to plow through, and you get those people who are kind of ah, eh, whatever. <clears throat> of course, there's the food addicts themselves, the undis- undisclosed ones, or they don't even know they are themselves, and they just say you're stupid. But that's more public. I would say that on the professional level, which is what you're asking, um, it's been mainly just being ignored. Like I, I have um, asked uh, in Canada. There's a couple of people. Uh, Yoni Friedhan, Friedhof, I think, uh, had a very popular um, obesity, I don't know if it was a podcast, it was just a, it was a blog, this was when blogs were really big, Um, and I kept wanting him to interview me, he wouldn't even answer my emails, so it would be more like just getting ignored, Uh, and then, and and that continues to this day, so if if I say something, I just won't get an email back, or uh, I guess it's it's basically that it's being ignored, which you know. That's pushback. Yeah.
3: Thanks for still trying. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Thank you yeah. so much. Yes, thank you. Keep trying. We I all mean, the good, will.
1: The good news is is that enough other people listen, and and the momentum is growing. Like that's that's what's encouraging. So they're they're going to get it eventually. They're they're going to have to get it.
0: Yeah, um, Alan, you're you're next.
5: You know, something my sponsor once said to me is just sort of clicking and listening to you. He said that when he's like really stressed out, anxious, low sleep, he has to be so tight and precise with his food. When he's calm and relaxed, maybe he can have something that's fruit juice sweetened, a little bit sweet, a little bit this, a little bit that. He said that he looks at his state of being as a function affecting what food choices he'll make. And so as I was listening to you, when you talk about you know dopamine being you know the addiction end and serotonin and oxytocin being on the connection end, it just made me think: if I'm feeling really connected with the world around me, I have mm-hmm. a lot of oxytocin and serotonin going in me, and therefore I'm less vulnerable to the food addiction cycle. So I want yeah. to know what you think of that idea?
1: Yeah, that that makes a lot of sense. I, I I it makes a lot of sense. I I will say, and and along that line people um, will say for example intuitive eating Um, if you're not eating addictive foods intuitive eating may well be possible which is a little bit like what you're saying that you know you decide yourself where you are what you need and what's safe to have i i think that that's a, a good sign of health um i will say though that depending on where the person is on their addiction pathway um I I wouldn't trust that for myself, for example. I wouldn't trust that for people who require a very, you know, weighed and measured, it's not gonna change that day. And if it does change, you talk to somebody else, you don't rely on yourself to make that. My sense of intuition, I don't trust my sense of intuition. it's not to say that you can't trust yours. Um, I think each person has to decide for themselves. Can they do that? And if they can, good. And they'll know if they can't, if they're starting to obsess and start, and they're starting to break little rules because the little rules will lead to the big rules eventually. Thanks. It's an Thanks. individual choice with a, a coach, sponsor, therapist, I think. Don't rely on yourself, though, only. Uh,
0: Rivian, you're up next.
1: Hi, you, you may have just answered this a little bit. My question is Do
2: sugar alternatives like allulose, tagatose, monk fruit, stevia are they to be avoided or will yeah. they also trigger a negative chemical response?
1: That's one of those gray areas like dairy, like nuts, that you have to decide, you and your sponsor or somebody yeah. has to decide for yourself. Uh, it, they are high trigger p- potential uh, because what is sweetener but the um, expectation of sweet so you know if, if i'm playing a uh, uh, monopoly or bingo and and it, it maybe that's not i mean you know that's not real money but um if it's high and it's fast and you have enough of the other qualities around it I, uh, then it starts to feel like an addiction. So it doesn't actually have to be just the substance. It can be the whole pattern of behavior around it. And the expectation of sweet leads to that. The other thing that happens with the sweetener is um you never then t- become, as long as you have a potentiated sense of sweet, even though it's not sugar, then the, the, the natural sweet of carrots and, and vegetables are still lost to you. And if you can settle back to the natural, there's no more debate, there's no more question as long as it's you're you're upping the expectation you're de- depriving yourself of that other place which is a little more relaxed ultimately it's your decision though uh, and often we use it's, it's it's kind of like a harm reduction approach we often use that uh, to lure the person into treatment because they'll say, there's no way I can do this. Let me at least have sweeteners, diet, coke, before I stop, you know, whatever. Uh, We'll say, okay, that's fine. And I've seen people use sweeteners for four, five, 10 years, and then they finally say, enough, let's stop with it. Thank you. Um,
0: Okay, Tom, and uh, please keep your questions succinct.
4: Uh, Yes, uh, just to let you know that the uh, College of Family Practice uh, uh, of Canada does a journal club, and one of the items that they have in the journal club is on obesity. Oh, yes. And uh, when I went to that, uh, that seminar, okay, I've had reactions of being a physician over 300 pounds and a physician pretty well at normal weight and goal weight, and believe me, you are treated differently. And because we were in the room and we all knew each other and it was all closed and that sort of thing. And and just, just physicians. Uh, One of the questions was, what was your attitude about uh, obese people? And I'm an obese person. I'm in the room and the guys were honest with me. Okay. Uh, You know, they, they feel that it's a willpower thing and they, uh, you know, how do you feel when you look at your list and, so-and-so who has an obesity problem is coming in to your office that day and you cringe. And that's that that's the reality. And I think uh, you know, there's got to be a way with the younger physicians to be able to realize that, you know, the diabetes and the hypertension, and the cardiovascular disease, cerebrovascular disease, all that sort of thing. Uh, well, the thing is, is if we solved the bit if we solved the problem, they'd be out of business, wouldn't they?
1: Practice. Yeah, there's that. Yeah, for sure, there's that. Yeah, uh, I, 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 my view is that obesity is a symptom, just like diabetes and and uh, um, uh, high blood pressure, because of the food. So we need to address the food. It's just a a symptom of that. Um, uh, Unfortunately, I I sit on, uh, especially on Facebook, I jump on a lot of the um, groups, obesity groups that talk there quite freely amongst themselves. And right now, the only topic seems to be for obesity is the the new medication, the uh, GLP ones like Ozempic and whatnot. That's what they wanna talk about. So um, if I make a suggestion like, well, food, what about we change food first? it's, I wouldn't say it's definitely dismissed. I guess there's a little bit of hostility there too. Like, uh, why are you telling people to deprive themselves and we have this other better solution? Um, So unfortunately, that's kind of taken over the center stage of the medical obesity world is surgery, you can make the argument, well, there's a lot of potential side effects, but people are saying, what's the problem with taking medication? And so that's really their focus now. I have to wait, I think, we have to wait uh, for a few more years until we see that those medications are also a short-term solution. They're not gonna be long-term. People can't afford that medication for life. It's just not an option.
0: Yeah, thank you. We'll take one more question and then we slowly need to be wrapping things up. So Kiku, go ahead, please. Hi, thank you so much. Sometimes I feel like I'm on shaky ground with fruit. Um, I I know you mentioned cherries. You know, there's like a natural, there's a feedback um, mm-hmm. from eating the unprocessed stuff. But then, you know, there are these fast fruits. And, you know, you also mentioned, That's good. Uh, you know, that we eat, you know, we're meant to eat more. You know, naturally, we, we've evolved to eat them, you know, obviously in certain
1: seasons. So could, if you could say something about it, I'd appreciate it. Well, I I think you kind of really uh, nailed it there when you said fast fast fruits. It's it's great. I don't know if you did that intentionally, but it's great. Um, I, I I these are you know high fructose. It's like bananas too. Um, if it overpowers. And it it depends on how uh, robust your system is. If it overpowers your ability to withstand it, it's dangerous. And if you're damaged because you're a food addict from eating tons of crap in the past, that might be too much for you. Uh, I found myself that with fruits, the only fruit I could safely tolerate, and it wasn't just because I wanted more, it was also because I got dizzy and hungry an hour later, which is a metabolic response, um, was berries because they're quite low in uh, glycemic load. Um, but eating some of that other stuff, I'm starving in an hour and also wanting food in an hour. So it's not like it's not just an addiction response because I actually think addiction is just... I actually think... One day, if I should live long enough, I would like to say food addiction is part of metabolic syndrome. It's the meta—it's the mental psychological response, like like we say of Alzheimer's and uh, uh, cognitive impairment with sugar addiction—is another side effect. Yeah. So
0: again, thank you okay, so much.
1: And your how robust your system is. Okay, I'm done
0: okay thank you this has been such a treat thank you so much you've been very very generous with your time and we slowly need to be wrapping things up so thank you everyone for coming for participating um it's been really a wonderful gathering um i've enjoyed it really really much
1: can i can i um say one thing um Yes, just really quickly. um, I have a Facebook group called I'm Sweet Enough Sugar Free for Life. And uh, it's not it's not a 12 step group at all. But if you want to be on a group where you just ask what's a good therapist or what's the latest podcast, that kind of stuff. I I, um, it's a great group.
0: Yes, we posted it in the chat and it will also go out um, in the email that we will send to all participants where they will get all the chat content. So in case they missed something or arrived late, they they still have all the information. OK, well, thank you, everyone, for coming. And uh, yeah, hope to see you next time. Hope to see you soon. See you in meetings. See you in the rooms. Thank you for joining us today. If you'd like to support our efforts, please visit secularovereaters.org and consider making a donation.